So we're in the series talking about a life well lived. And again, a life well lived is not, we're not talking about uh, a life that is the most comfortable. We're not ta- talking about a life where you're going to be able to buy everything that you want and go on the coolest vacations and the, the best spots. The, the, what we're talking about a life well lived, especially in context of what we're going to talk about specifically today, is that at the end of your life, at the end of my life, you know, the latest statistics are that 10 out of 10 people die, Right? I mean, and, but also 98% of statistics are made on the spot, so you never, you never really know. But anyways, you'll get that later. So at the end of your life, what we believe is we're all going to stand before Jesus. That's what we believe. And we want to be able to say that I wasn't perfect, a lot of ups and downs, needed God's grace, but I'm so satisfied with the way I live my life, faithful to God, faithful to him. That we made as much of a difference in this world as we could. We loved as many people as we could. We forgave as many people as we could. We, we did our best for people to see the character of God. That when people would see Christians, they would go, I know what God is like. That's a life well lived. And it's about this idea of living with wisdom. Living with wisdom, not living with knowledge because they're not the same thing. Sometimes people come to church and there's, there's been people over the years that have left the church because we don't, they say we don't preach deep enough. It's like, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't preach deep then. We preach clearly. clearly. So don't mistake clarity for simplicity. Don't mistake clarity for shallowness. The question is, we're going to preach clearly. It's going to bother you. The big question you need to wrestle with is, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to live that? Many of us are educated far beyond our level of obedience. So it's not, okay, tell me some more things that I'm not going to actually do. And we call that deep. That's not what we do here at the church. What we're going to say is, hey, this is clear, this is simple. Do you do it? Do you do it? And if not, hey, I'm struggling too. I'm imperfect with you. We're trying our best. We need the grace of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. But are you doing it? One of my old friends used to say that wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Doesn't matter what you know. What do you do? What do you do? So today, we're going to talk about your favorite topic. And I know you woke up this morning going, man, I hope we talk about this today in church. We're going to talk about money. God, okay. And here's the thing. We're not going to end service today with an offering envelope. All right? No one is going to go, so in light of what we talked about today, how much are you committing to give to the church? Not what we're talking about today. Okay. Actually, this year, we, we, every year we've had a tradition of this uh, first gift offering. And first gift offering, uh, just philosophically, is we announce it sometime in November. And uh, with the first week in December, we give everyone these envelopes, say first gift offering. Uh, if you want one, we have a box of them in the back from last year. Uh, if you want to just take one and frame it and put it above your bed. Uh, but uh, we give them on November sometime. And then the first week of December, we challenge everyone, hey, give Jesus your first and best gift. We're not doing that this year. What we decided to do instead, uh, in light of economic uncertainty, in light of it, there's a kind of this sense of, oh, what's going on? Everyone's laying people off, job. In light of all of that, right? Those of you guys that are invested in crypto, sorry, uh, <laughs> right? Check in on your friends. Uh, those those were, that were like, you need to buy all this crypto. You need to check in on them, okay? You probably need to, probably need to bring them a care package, all right? Um, that's kind of gross in the mic, isn't it? Sorry. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, <clears throat> so what we decided to do instead of doing first gift offering is we want to focus, uh, we feel like leadership, uh, the stewardship of leadership is the stewardship of attention. 
And so we want to be uh, good stewards of how, where we guide your attention. And we want to focus you in on a couple things this holiday season. And the first one is we're going to actually give you more clarity next week, but we're partnering with Illumination Foundation who partners and supports those experiencing homelessness. It's an amazing organization. And so next week, we're going to announce how you can partner with them. We're going to fill up stockings, not for the kids, but for the adults, because everyone gives a cute kid stuff. Man, we want to give the adult stuff, too. And so we're going to fill these stockings, and we're, we, we've made a commitment or a goal uh, that's probably a, a, little, a little beyond our weight class, in a sense, uh, but we believe we can do it as a church. And so we're going to challenge you guys to fill up these stockings next week and be generous. And I can say, be sacrificially generous with that. And I can say that unashamedly because none of that's going to the church. So give big uh, to that because it's important. We'll give you more information about that uh, next week. And then the second thing is the last Sunday of every year, uh, we give the entire offering away. We've done it since the very beginning of the church four years ago. Um, It's never made sense. Uh, It's never been good for our budget, uh, but it's good for our hearts. And what we want to do is whatever, every single penny that comes in on that Sunday, the last Sunday of the year, so this year it's Christmas Sunday, ironically, uh, that we, are, we give that 100% away to local and global nonprofits uh, that are making a difference. And we just want to bless them. And so, uh, so that, those are the two focuses for your generosity at the, end, at the end of the year. None of them come back to the church. If anything, it costs the church money because we have to pay for credit card fees and processing fees for every gift that you give. But we're going to eat those and give every dollar away. So give generously. Be praying about what you want to give to those, uh, those things. Uh, but anyways, but there's not going to be like a, here's a first gift offering. Okay, so that's not how we're going to uh, talk about uh, today. Uh, so, with that, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I, I, I grew up in Chicago, and uh, we were the only family lived at, that lived here in the States. Uh, my mom is Korean, my dad's Japanese, and they came over here uh, from, I know you guys are like, I thought you were, uh, you know, Polish. No, I'm actually uh, multi-Asian. So my uh, dad's from Japan, and so in the summers, about every other year or so, my brother and I would fly over to, uh, J- to Japan and Korea to hang out with our aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. And it was, it, was, it was in the days when you can, like, walk your kid up to the gate, and then you could have, like, a, a united attendant, like, sit with your kid or whatever, take care of you. It was, like, the coolest thing. So anyways, um, we'd go over there, and I, I would hang out. There's one summer I remember in particular. I was probably, like, 11 or 12 years old, uh, and I went by myself. My brother didn't come with me, and I was just hanging out for the summer for, like, 45 days with my Japanese grandma and grandpa. And uh, some of my favorite memories of my childhood— and they used to wake up early because uh, they were old. And uh, <laughs> they'd go to sleep early. They'd wake up early. Uh, and they would, uh, I, I'd, my, you know, they would not allow me to sleep in uh, because they felt like it was their responsibility to train me. So we'd wake up early. My grandpa would, uh, we'd go for a walk together because that's what he liked to do. And then we'd get back. He had the same routine every morning. We'd get back to the house and he would crack three eggs uh, into a cup, not even stir them or anything, just eggs, just chicken fetuses, just in a cup, and then just bam, right? Uh, And then he would give me one that I would just muscle down. And so, uh, but I'm like, hey, if if grandpa can do it, I'm going to do it, and apparently it's good for you. So I did that, and then a lot of times I would spend the afternoon doing origami with my uh, grandma, and the, (laughs) they, they both did the same things when we were whether, we, whether we were making tea or making origami or we were cooking lunch or whatever. There was always this sense of, man, whatever you do, man, do it with excellence. 
If, I, if the fold, if the crease, if we're making like a little crane or something with origami, if the crease wasn't exactly to the corners, if the crease wasn't exactly like really well creased, she would just crumple it up and go, do it again, do it again. I'm like, what? This is not fun. You know, but they were teaching me lessons. There's wisdom in those times, right? Just before screens and before internet and all that kind of stuff. And my, my grandpa would teach me the value of hard work, of going slow. My grandpa would talk about this idea that Whatever you do, whether you're building a company or you're making a cup of tea, your name is on that. So be proud of it. Do the best that you can, right? When you're, when you're doing something, even though no one may know, right? Don't just paint the outside that everyone sees, man. Do both sides because you know it's there. Don't do shortcuts. He taught me the value of, of hard work. He taught me the value of integrity and honesty. Natalie will tell you, my kids will tell you that I... Nothing will tick me off more than a breach of integrity, than a breach of honesty, a breach of not owning it, right? That's like a big deal to me. A lot of times, especially, uh, you know, in the evenings, we would have the best talks sitting on the uh, back deck on the back side of the house. And uh, I miss those talks. The reason why I bring those up, uh, bring that up is because I want that to be the framework as we talk about finances, I want you to picture sitting on the uh, back porch with Grandpa Solomon, and he's giving you money advice. Uh, if you're taking notes, actually, I just called it Grandpa Solomon's money advice. It's pretty, pretty simple, right? What's, what's, what's crazy about uh, Solomon is Jewish history says this. It says that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. So people would come from all over the known world at a time to, to sit and have Q&A sessions with Grandpa Solomon. How do you do this? How do you rule? How do you manage your money? How do you? I mean, he was getting millions of dollars of gold every month if you read uh, history there. What's wild about all this is that it, it wasn't transferred. The wisdom of Solomon, what we're going through with Proverbs, it, it wasn't transferred to his kids. It's really wild. See, you can sit in a house that wisdom built. You can sit under the covering of, uh, of a certain standard of values and be frustrated by the rules, be frustrated by the boundaries of that house that those values implemented and never internalize those values yourself. And then one day, the covering goes away and you become responsible for your own covering and you realize why those values were there. And a lot of times, especially those of us uh, that are you know, older than 30-something, probably sometime in your mid-20s, older 20s, you realize, oh, my parents were not idiots, right? And all of a sudden, you're telling your kids, turn off the lights. You're like, oh my gosh, I'll become my dad, right? What's wild is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, um, inherited a lot of the wealth. And then when his lifetime, he lost almost all of it. Isn't that wild? That's a lot of money to spend. That is like a trust fund vacation, right? So, so I want us to think about what would Solomon say as we approach money? What would Solomon wish that his son understood about money? So we're going to go over five things uh, real briefly, and it's going to be really practical, really practical, I'm, and kind of now, this, this kind of teaching is my cup of tea. So number one is this. Spiritual health is better than material wealth. Spiritual health is better than material wealth, and it's true because it rhymes. Okay, spiritual health is better than material wealth, right? The first thing we're going to start with is the fact that material wealth is not the first thing. The first thing we're talking about is that wealth is not the first thing. As we're talking about building wealth, we're talking about managing wealth, being faithful with wealth. When I say wealth, I'm not talking about 
you know, Uncle Scrooge diving in a vat of gold, okay? That's not, I'm talking wealth is just in finances in general. But the first thing we need to understand as we're talking about wealth is that wealth is not the most important thing. The most important thing is the most important thing, which is your spiritual health. And when that gets messed up, when the order of that gets messed up, and that's, that's when we mess up. That's when everything gets messed up. So whenever material wealth comes before spiritual health, what we do is we make what should be a tool and we turn it into a god. All right, let me say it again. Whenever we take, whenever material wealth comes before spiritual health, we take what should be a tool and we make it a god. So we need to keep first things first. Proverbs says this in 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than, than gold or to choose understanding rather than silver? So what, what, what the writer is saying here is if you can choose one, wisdom, gold, choose wisdom. If you can choose silver or, or understanding, choose understanding. And we say amen to that, write it down. That's right, Taka. And then so many times when we have to choose between finances and faith, we choose finances, right? So many times, me too. I was so encouraged. A couple days ago, I was texting with a, a friend of mine, uh, goes to the church, and he's just like, hey, Kitaka, can you pray uh, for our family? Uh, a great family. They're, they're awesome. They're, they've been here for a while, and they're having some financial challenges. Um, nothing crazy, right? Nothing like we're going to be homeless tomorrow. I mean, it, it, nothing like that, uh, but definitely like, hey, we're dipping into our savings, and something's happening in a few months that we need a miracle, man. Like, we need God to intervene. And I was like, hey, let's pray. I'm asking diagnostic questions. How can I help? What are you looking for? I believe specific prayers get specific answers. So what, what exactly are we praying for here? Uh, and then uh, without, unprovoked, I didn't bring this up. He, he brought up, he goes, hey, just so you know, um, we're not budging on our tithe. And um, he goes, we, wanna, we want to keep our faith a priority. We want to keep God first in the middle of all this. I was like, I'm just proud of you. That's the right way to approach it. And I would say that, uh, it sounds weird because I'm like, I'm the pastor of the church, but I would say that if you went to a different church uh, too. So uh, today, a lot of times what we can do is we can assume someone is wise. We can assume someone is smart if they're wealthy financially, right? We're like, oh, I, I don't know about this guy. Man, did you see their car? They must be really smart. They must be really wise. Do you, do you have, any, have to have a boat? She's their boat? They must be really wise, right? They're successful, so they must be wise. And that's not true. Wealth and wisdom are not always correlated, okay? There's a guy called Nabal in 1 Samuel, and he's super wealthy. His name literally means fool, right? And his actions are very on brand, if you read the story in 1 in Samuel. Jesus told a lot of stories about this guy that he called the rich fool. He didn't even give him a name. He just called him the rich fool, right? There's, uh, Proverbs actually talks about that it's possible to be crooked, to be deceitful, to be uh, disingenuous, and be rich. It says this in Proverbs 28. It says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. That you can be crooked in everything that you do, that no one trusts you, but you're rich. You're rich, right? So I want us to be clear, wealth financially does not mean wisdom. The goal of biblical finance is what we're talking about today. And I've seen so many times I've been to church situations where it's like, the Bible tells you how to have a hockey stick. You know, it's like, okay, can I tell you? Sometimes we take the American dream, right? 
white picket fence, nice house, golden retriever, two and a half kids, right? And, <laughs> and, and we go, Jesus wants that for me too. Jesus wants you to be wealthy. Jesus wants, Jesus died on the cross so you can have success in every area. And can I tell you the problem with that? Kind of like every believer in the first century, right? All of them were, all the apostles were executed for their faith. None of, the, none of them retired with a plush 401k in their vacation home. Grandkids running around, two and a half kids, right? They, they didn't have that. The biblical finances is not about having a lot. It's not about having a little. You can be wealthy and dumb, and you can be poor and dumb, and you can be wealthy and wise, and you can be poor and wise, all right? God isn't going to ask us. God isn't going to ask us how much we had. He's going to ask us if we were faithful to what he gave us. So biblical finances is not, here's the three ways to get wealthy. Biblical finances is how to be faithful, not how to be wealthy. Okay, I want to make sure we have the right framework as we uh, do this, okay? So, so number one, spiritual health is more important uh, than uh, material wealth. Number two, hard work honors God. Hard work honors God. You realize work is not a product of the fall. It's not like when God created Adam and Eve, he goes, couches, flat screen TV, just, you know, robots to serve whatever you want to serve, right? No, no, no. Do you know what he did? He created Adam and Eve. He put him to work. Put him to work, right? Work is not a product of the fall. Work is you being part of your design. So hard work is good, Proverbs 10 says this, the one who is lazy becomes poor. Unless you're a trust fund kid. But the one who is lazy becomes poor. But the one who works diligently becomes wealthy. The Bible actually calls labor, or, or, or money, the fruit of one's labor. Labor increases your intellect, if you allow it. Labor increases your skill. And here's where I'm going to sound old, man, but people are growing up with a deterrence to hard work. Read the statistics of like how, met, how many people are saying right now that their life goal, their plan for their life is to be an influencer. I mean, it doesn't not work for a lot of people, but that, I mean, it's, that's not like, but it, it, can I say this too? Actually, not, not the random influencers, but the ones that are, like, that are really creating content, like good content, ask them if it's hard work or not. It's still a ton of hard work, right? So laziness results in, I want to be clear about this. Here's why I really believe. Laziness results in lower income, okay? Right? Laziness results in lower income. Laziness results in debt. Laziness results in dependence on credit cards. In other words, other people's money. Laziness results in a dependence on other people. Now, just so we're clear, and I just see so you think, you're not thinking, man, Taka is heartless, man. I'm not saying if you're depending on other people's support, because we all need each other at times, that you're lazy. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is laziness results in these things, and you know that to be true. Uh, with this is uh, just saying don't squander God's blessings with get-rich-quick schemes, right? If someone comes up to you and says, hey, there's this thing that I'm doing. You only got to work two hours a day, and I just need you to give me 500 bucks, and you can get started too, Right? We can have a meeting tomorrow in my mom's basement where I live. And you can be successful just like me, okay? Don't get involved and get rich quick schemes. Work is good. 
Work is good if you acquire wealth slowly, diligently, the Bible says, you'll have the character necessary to manage it well. But don't take the finances God gives you and throw it away in some get-rich-quick scheme because that dollar could have been used to give someone clean water, to feed someone, to introduce someone to Jesus in a life-changing way. So, hard work honors God. Number three, have a plan, work the plan. Told you to be practical. Have a plan, work the plan. I want to challenge you to put together a budget, okay? And I know some of you guys, especially you free spirits out there, you're like, I don't want to have a budget? That feels so restricting. Can I tell you? Can we grab coffee? I'd love to walk you through how to create a budget. Because even the free spirits that have helped walk through creating a budget with all like the, dude, have a hundred bucks of blow money or just whatever the thing, have fun money, closed line items or whatever. You can have fun. You're not going to be restricted. It'll be freeing. It'll be liberating because halfway through the month, you're not going to be going, am I going to have more month than my money is going to help me with this month? Right? I have too much, too much month, not enough money this month. Am I going to be in a trouble before my last next paycheck? With a budget, you know what's happening. So you can just, I have 10 bucks to spend on a movie because I have that budgeted, right? So if you a lot of times when I, when I tell people to create budgets, they'll, they, they say they feel like they got a raise because they know where their money is going. So let me give you some basic things on how to create a budget, okay? This is not from Solomon. This is from me, okay? So uh, take one month, even if this next, even though December's a little weird, November's a little weird. Um, every month is a little weird for different reasons, but uh, just track your spending for one month. Get an app like Every Dollar or Mint or something like that and just plug in all your bank in information and then it'll track your spending for a month. So get a realistic read of what you actually spend money on, not what you want to spend money on. I've seen so many, so many times people create these budgets that are unrealistic, right? I'll look at their budget and they're like, oh, it all, it all makes sense. It's like, do you not eat food? <laughs> do you not pay for gas? Like, so track your spending for one month and you'll go, oh, I do have all these. And then, and then what you do is you create a budget from that, from your actual spending. And then you follow the budget, right? And then you make adjustments along the way. So you may say, look, this month's going to be a little different when you adjust this, or this was an unrealistic expectation, so I need to adjust that, or, you know, Eggs cost more now. Gas costs more now. So I need to adjust that budget, but then I need to lower other parts of the budgets because we, you know, we need to not spend more than 100% of the money that comes in, right? I get asked all the time, what about things like vacations, taking vacation, or what do I do about things like December with buying Christmas presents? It's kind of stressful. All the time, you ask anybody involved in a nonprofit, whether it be a church or uh, organizations like World Vision, giving goes down in January. Why? Because everyone's in debt from Christmas because they didn't plan for it right? Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to buy all the things, make everyone happy, impress people that I don't really care about. And so, you know, all the cousins and all, get, get stuff for everybody. And then January, like, oh, crap. No, no, I, I don't have any money left, right? So here's what we do. We go, we use ally.com. There's a bunch, we have a bunch of statements accounts. They're free. There's no minimum uh, checking or uh, account balance on there. And then, so if we say we need a set amount of money for a vacation in July or a set amount of money for Christmas presents, we're going to spend about this much money, then you just go, okay, how much do I need to auto send every couple weeks to this online account or once a month or whatever so that when it comes Christmas time, we have that much money sitting in the account, cash, not debt, and then we can buy what we need. How much money do I need to have for a vacation in July? Okay, then let's put that money aside once a month or every couple weeks. We do the same thing with a car payment. We don't believe in debt, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
right? I mean, we believe it exists uh, as an idea, uh, as a practical function, but we don't practice uh, debt, and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. Um, but so what we do is we pay ourselves a car payment, right? Our, our cars are paid off because uh, they were bought with cash, and then we pay ourselves a car payment, right? Every month, it automatically deducts to this car fund, okay? And then what happens is, inevitably, brakes wear out, tires wear out, stuff happens, kids hit stuff, with, you know, so... Um, you know, theoretically, um, also in real life. So, uh, so what we do is when that stuff happens, we just take money out of that car fund and pay for it, right? This is, when, the difference between an emergency and an inconvenience is how much you plan for it, okay? So we know tires will go out and they'll be expensive. So we have that money budget. And what happens is when the cars are, we tend to buy like Toyotas and stuff, so they kind of just run forever, pour water in the tank, and they just run forever. So, um, what happens is when that car fund grows to a certain amount, then we just go, dude, we could sell the car, add the car fund to it, and buy a better car cash. That's how we operate our vehicles. So that's how we work it. I'm not saying you have to do that, but it gives you some practical help. So the goal is actually work the plan. Create a plan and work the plan. Because I, I know so many people that have created, uh, like, here's my schedule for the week, or here's my budget for the month, and then it's like meticulous right? Spreadsheet, and then you never look at it again, right? And it's like almost like, I created the Excel sheet. Why aren't my finances in order? Because you're not like, does that make sense? Bake a plan and then work the plan. The whole idea is this. Did you shower this past week? If you didn't, don't answer that. Just nod your head like you did, right? The whole idea is that if you turned on the faucet, water came down in useful places, right? You didn't turn on the faucet and water came shooting out of the drywall, right? Well, how did that happen? You went to your bathroom, you flipped on the light, the light turned on. Well, how did that happen? Because way before your house was built, your condo, your apartment, whatever, there was an architect that had to work with a GC and the permitting office to make sure there was a plan. So that electrician, the HVAC guy, and all that stuff knew exactly what went where, and you get to have the benefit of that every day. All we're saying is create a plan for your finances too. Don't just wing it. And for those of you guys who are like, well, what's wrong with winging it? How's it working out? That's why, you don't have, that's why you don't do that. Have a plan. Have a plan, right? So one of the plans that we always suggest everyone make a goal is 10-10-80. 10-10-80. Give God your first 10%. Save 10%. And, and you can get all as sophisticated or as simple as you want with the 10%. If you're, you want to go Roth or not, not Roth or traditional or IRA, IRA or 401k or matching or small cap, large cap, whatever you that doesn't matter. 10%. Okay, don't ar- I don't want to argue about what you, you invest in. Probably don't want to invest in, like, something dumb, but uh, 10%. Probably bo- the more boring it is, the probably better it is, okay? So 10%, give to God. 10%, save it. 80%, live off of it. And you're like, Taka, how am I going to live off 80%? What kind of car can I get? Probably one that's not as nice as, as you were thinking you were going to get. But you know what? It, the cars run awesome. They feel, they drive different when they're paid off. All right, so... 10, 10, 80, 10, 10, 80. And so let me give you an example, okay, a realistic example. If there's a husband and wife that each made $30,000, okay, they're not rolling six figures and some tech startup, they each make $30,000. And if they followed 10, 10, 80 plan, over 25 years, they would have given $150,000 away towards things that matter. Can you imagine that? $150,000 away to feed the hungry, for missions, for clean water, for education, for children, for people encountering God, for changing family trees, $150,000 making $30,000 each. 
That 10% they put away over that same amount of time, if they got just a 5% uh, rate of return, which is so far below, not the last couple years, but so far below historic averages over the long haul, they'd have $321,000 in the bank. If they waited another 20 years, they'd have over a million dollars in the bank. Right? Now that sweater that you wanted to buy doesn't seem quite as cool, does it? Right? 10, 10, 80. And you may look at this and go, Taka, but uh, right now I'm, I'm on the 0, 0, 100 plan. <laughs> or if, if you're honest, I'm on the 0, 0, 110 plan. I spend at least 10% more than I make. Right? Okay. Here's what I challenge you. Don't overthink it. Don't feel dumb. Okay? Start with 1%. Try to go 1198. Try it. Try it for a month. Okay, you might create some new habits. And then see how if you can go to 2296. And then I'm gonna stop going because I can't do math anymore. Okay, so but you understand <laughs> the goal. The goal is to try to get I did the AP calc too, but I can't do basic math anymore. Okay, so so does that make sense? The whole idea is little by little, little becomes much. Little by little, little becomes much. Proverbs 13 says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle right? But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This is it. Have a plan, work the plan. And again, if you're going talk, there's so much you unpack there. I don't know what to do. Can I grab lunch with you? I'll buy you lunch. I'll buy you coffee. Let me help you put a budget together. I'm not going to ask to see your W-2s. I'm not going to ask if you're tithing to the church. That's not my goal. My, my goal is to help you be a good steward with the finances God has given you. If that be helpful at all, be my honor to help you with that. All right. Um, number four, avoid debt like the plague. Avoid debt like the plague. Avoid debt like you're avoiding RSV. Avoid debt like you're avoiding COVID-19. All right. Avoid debt like you're, never mind. Okay. So avoid debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says this, the rich rules over the poor, but the bower is slave, or it becomes a lender's slave. Solomon's saying debt is bad. Being in debt is like being a slave. Why? Because you can't spend the resources where you want to go. You're tied to this, and you got, you've experienced that, right? Some of you guys have experienced that. You're going, man, I got in all this debt, and man, I, I didn't realize it was going to spiral, and we got in a rough life situation, and we had to get in debt because just to survive. And we have, it feels like a burden, doesn't it? So, as awesome as compound interest is on the positive side, it is a nightmare on the negative side. Let me give you a real-life scenario on this. Say uh, you want to, you, just, you, you watch some HGTV special and you're, in, you're inspired. You're like, I need new appliances. Okay, so you just get all new appliances, washer, dryer, the microwave, the oven, the dishwasher. The, you, you do the, all the things, okay? You don't need money. So you're like going, well, Best Buy says <clears throat> I can make payments, right? And if I can make payments, I can afford it, which We've said this before, but what we believe is if you have to make payments, that means you can't afford it, actually. So, uh, so you, pay, you pay 7,500 bucks to buy all this new stuff, okay? At 18% interest, uh, which is like actually pretty good with the prime going up, but say it's at 18% interest, if you paid 150 bucks a month towards that $7,500, do you know how long it would take you to pay that off? 30 years and two months. 30 years long after that fridge is in a graveyard somewhere, right? Because they don't make them like they used to. But 30 years, right? Do you know how much you will have paid for those things you don't even own anymore? $23,000 because of interest. So what's the lesson here? Avoid debt like the plague, okay? 
The only places where we personally give allowance for debt is for appreciating assets. Okay, not crypto, appreciating assets, okay? Actually, historically proven, appreciating assets. There's two that we, we allow debt for in our personal lives. One is your home, your residence, okay? As long as it's smart, whatever the bank says, uh, you're going to get a loan for up to this amount, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not the number you should work with, okay? <laughs> and not if like, oh, but I, I can afford this much. If I get a jumbo arm, the rate's going to, don't do that, okay? So um, your home, if it's a, a reasonable mortgage, not some 60-year thing, a reasonable mortgage, your home, because it's a appreciating asset. The second thing is you. Second appreciating asset is you, right? So we're not against student loans with a caveat for necessary items, okay? Some of my friends went to school. Uh, one of my friends, she used, uh, gosh, this one's not a wise move. She used her, uh, a good portion of her student loans to buy a really sweet car, okay? Really stupid, okay? This is back in the 90s. You can do weird stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> but if you get the minimum amount of loans for school, that may mean you go slower. That may mean you take less classes. That may mean you stay and live with your parents and go to JUCO, Right? That may mean that you don't get to go to that real cool, bougie school. That means you, you take more years to finish your schooling. It may mean you, you're working uh, at KFC while you're going to school. But you know what's going to happen? You'll, you'll enjoy your classes more. You'll focus more. You'll blow less classes off. Right? You'll maybe, maybe think about, okay, this major I'm choosing, Maybe I'm not going to change it five times. Maybe I'm going to really think through what I want my major to be because when it's real money, right? When you're going, I'm making 20 bucks an hour over here and that's thousands, that's a lot of hours. You start reframing stuff, right? So you'll value those things more. We're pretty old school uh, with stuff. And, and, he, and here's the reality of it. Again, I was talking to someone two days ago. They have a lot of student debt. I'm not against student debt, like we just said. But those of you guys that have a lot of student loans, you get it, right? Like, you get it, right? It is a weight. You feel like you are a slave to that. It's debilitating many times, right? And all I'm saying, I think anybody who has a ton of student debt would say, amen, Taka, say it again, right? Because it is, a lot of times you're like, oh, click the button. Yeah, apply that to my student loan, right? Because it doesn't feel like real money. It's real money, and you have to pay it back. I know you're like, oh, no, no, the government's going to pay it back. Maybe. But assume that you're going to pay it back because you signed a document saying, I will pay it back. So assume you're going to pay it back, all right? So I'm old school, but that's the only place for debt. Okay, last thing, five. Distinguish between wants and needs. Distinguish between wants and needs. Growing up, again, immigrant household, right? So it's a little different, but... I'd say, you know, Dad, I need that Sega Genesis or I need that uh, Castle of Grayskull or whatever the thing is. I need it. All my friends have it. I need it. And my dad would just go, you know, you need air. You need food, a little bit of water, right? That's what you need. I don't care if all your friends have that, right? They all, all your friends jumped off a bridge. I don't, even know, where, I don't, I don't know if all parents go to the same class. Here's the line you say. But anyways, um, they would just be very clear on what a need is and what a want is. Now, here's the thing. Wants aren't bad. They're not bad. If you have the margin to do something really cool, do it. 
Buy some sweet sneakers. Go on an amazing vacation. Buy that amazing car. Buy that thing that you've been dreaming about. But do it with wisdom and do it with faithfulness. But you have to distinguish between wants and needs. Something, uh, if, if, the, if, the, if the want uh, takes away from the plan, if the want increases your debt, if the want takes away from your ability to be faithful to God. See, back in the day, there wasn't debt. Remember back in the day, like a Kmart, it'd be like layaway? Then you're like, I want that couch or whatever. And you give them 20 bucks a week. And once finally you paid it off and you're ready to take that couch home, it feels different because you worked for it, right? Same thing. Along this uh, line is determine when enough is enough. Determine when enough is enough. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus talks about this guy who has a ton of stuff and he builds bigger barns. He gets more storage units and more storage units to hold all of his stuff because he can't just, he can't stop clicking buy now on Amazon, right? So I'm reading into it, but I think that's what was happening here. But Jesus talks about this guy who's acquiring more and more stuff and acquiring storage units to hold all the stuff. And the rest of the teaching, Jesus calls him the rich fool because he can't stop getting more stuff. Next thing is uh, make a decision to not compete with the Joneses. Make a decision to not compete with the Joneses. And um, so someone gets a new kitchen, so you need to. Someone gets some new uh, sneakers, so you need to. Someone goes on a fancy vacation, so you need to. Someone gets a new car, so you need to. You know what the winner of the Joneses competition gets? A mountain of debt. And what we tend to do, especially with social media, we go, I want to go on the vacation that person has. I want to get the shoes that person has. I want the wardrobe this person has. I want, and we pick and choose, and then we go into debt because now we have, an, we, I can't afford it, but we have an opportunity through debt to get it, right? And it becomes a curse, not a blessing. So here's my challenge to you. I don't know what your thing is, right? Some of you guys are like, I don't care what car I drive. And some of you guys are like, I really care what car I drive. Okay, uh, so whatever your thing is, here's what I challenge you to do. Whatever the thing is, like, oh, when, I, when they get the clothes, I want the clothes. That's your thing, clothes. Or I love backpacks. I don't know about you, I love bags. I, would, I wish I had a wall of bags, all kinds of bags. I would, I, we were talking about this yesterday with, with some of the staff. I would have a large wall I mean, if I was, like, super rich, and it'd be, like, three-fourths bags, and it'd be one-fourth sneakers, just like 10 feet with like an elevator system. Be all these different sneakers, right? Be awesome. Can't do it. Anyways, here's what I challenge you to do. Whatever that thing is, like get a trophy from Amazon for like five bucks. You can get a custom nameplate. And your neighbor that has the lawn that you want, dude, just best lawn award. You go to your neighbor's house, you're like, you won. Bro, I secede. You have the victory. That person has a wardrobe you want, you win. I'm not going to compete anymore. You have the best clothes, right? If you grow out of them, I'll buy them off you, right? Give me a good price. The person who goes on all the sweet vacations, you're like, you win, man. Every, do you even work? What do you do? You're always in some amazing location. I'm living through your Instagram. You win right? And just declare them the winner and get out of the game because there's a dangerous word. If there's any one word that will keep you from being faithful, it's this, more. More. If you have more as your goal, 
you will never have enough. Right? If you have more as your goal, can I be honest? You'll never have peace. If you have more as your goal, you'll never have joy. Because you want the next thing. If you, if you have more as your goal, you'll never have gratitude. If you have more as your goal, you'll pull everyone in your, in your, in your general area down into the same quicksand you're in. So, as we close, Jesus talked about, it's called the parable of the talents. And it's not talents like, I can juggle. It's talents like <laughs> the money, right? Talent was an was a amount of, of, of gold. And so he talks about this story about there's this master who has a lot of money, and so he gives three individuals different amounts of money to one one talent, one five talents, one ten talents. He doesn't say, this person was super wise and loves spreadsheets, so he gets ten. He didn't say why. That's what's amazing about the story. He doesn't tell why one person gets more or less. It's his money. He decides whatever he wants to do. And it's the same way with us. I don't know why God gives some people the ability to get wealth. Some of you guys are like, you just can, you can create money, right? Not in a legal way, but you can like create you're just good at it. And there's others of us that are like, I don't know, how do you do that, right? I'm a one-talent person. He's a ten-talent person. So Jesus is saying this master gives them different amounts of money. But that's not the story. The story is that the master comes back, right? And Jesus isn't telling a parable because he wants to tell just, a, you know, Aesop's fable. The whole point of the story is that God's given all of us a certain amount of resources, Some of us are one talent, some of us are ten talent, some of us are five talent. The goal is that one day, he's going to come back. One day we're going to stand before that master and he's going to ask us, what did you do with all my stuff? Did you realize, first of all, that wasn't your stuff? That was my stuff the whole time, right? What'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed some of it. That's good. You can only do three things with money. You can spend it, you can save it, you can give it. That's it. So I hope you enjoy it. You, had some, you bought some fun stuff, and, but I hope you helped other people too. I hope you used my money for things that I care about. Right? I hope it blessed you. I hope it made you happy. I hope it gave you joy. I hope it gave you stability. But I, I hope you did that for other people too. If I were to watch how you spent my money, I, I, I hope that I would smile about that, that you had a plan, that you had wisdom. Right? So I want you to think about If you're going back before Jesus at the end of all this, what do you want people to say? What do you want people to say? God, I was faithful. Did the best I can. Or it's like, sorry. (laughs) You remember when um, my first job, no, I'm not saying you remember my first job. You weren't there. My first job, um, I feel like I'm really old right now. Like, milk was a dime. Okay, but uh, when, when I was, <laughs> I remember my first job, I made three twenty-five an hour. I know. Leave me alone. It was, as, as my daughter would say, it was back in the olden times. Uh, but, and I, it was literally digging graves and uh, pulling out weeds out of a cemetery with a screwdriver. Okay, it's, it's all, the whole nursery. We don't have time to unpack it. Okay, still working through it. So, uh, 325. And at the end of the year, I would get my, you know, W-2 or whatever, and I would see all the money I made that year. You know that? And you're going, it made, it's a really big impact when you're younger, right? Because I was like 14 or something like that. 
And I'm like, I made that much money this year? Right? It's like a ton of money for me in that day, you know? That's a ton of money at 325 an hour. It's like, where did it go? What I, I buy a lot of comic books, pizza. Like, what do I do with all that? I really think at the end of our lives, we're going to somehow know how much money flowed through our hands. It's going to be an amazing amount of money. Even if you're like, Taka, I don't make much. It doesn't matter. The cum over your lifetime, it's going to be an amazing amount of money. And God's going to go, that was my money. What'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? So we're going to pass out offering. No, I'm so, so, um, so I want you to think about what do you want to be able to say? What difference do you want to be able to make? Okay, so let me pray for us. Can I, we pray this all the time. I hope there's no guilt, no condemnation. This isn't about you should feel bad. That's not what I'm trying to do here. God wants you to be wise because he wants something for you, not something from you. God wants you to have peace and not worrying about your finances because you have a plan, right? So let's pray. God, we just... We pray, uh, give us uh, wisdom beyond our years. God, we want to walk with wisdom and how we handle your resources that you put into our hands. God, I pray that the world will be just a little bit better because of how we spent your money. God, I pray for those of us in the room that are going, that are in crisis right now, that they're upside down, they're in debt, they have financial situations going on that feel like just they're so much bigger than them. God, we believe they're not bigger than you. So God, would you help those people to connect with the right other people in the room that can help walk with them, to keep in step with them, to pray for them, to support them, to give them some wisdom and coaching. God, I pray that people would leave feeling that you are with them and you're going to help them make great decisions. God, there's no formula. But at the end of our lives, we just, we just want to be faithful. We care way more about being faithful than being wealthy. But we also know that you, say, you say that those who are faithful will be given more. So God, help us to be faithful with what we have. And as you give us more, we commit to being faithful with that too. In Jesus' name, amen.